Let's pray, guys. Father God, I just come before you, Lord, this morning. I want to thank you, God, for just such an amazing atmosphere of worship, Father, just to fill your spirit, God, in our homes, uh, in our barns, in the businesses, God, wherever we're meeting together this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will just continue that moment, Father, through into the message, God, that you would just let your Holy Spirit just be poured out upon us, God, that you will teach us this morning. I pray, Lord, you'll take your word, take every second uh, of the time we spend together this morning, God, and just use it, Father, for your glory, for our good, that you will just uh, give us power this morning. Let this message just bring conviction, God, but ultimately drive us to you, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. So last week, uh, if you guys were with us, we experienced one of the heaviest messages uh, that I have personally ever preached. It weighed on me so heavy uh, up to the day that I preached it, and then I just felt kind of a huge release. And I believe that uh, the ultimate thing that we want to focus on from that message is that the Lord God Almighty is so merciful and has so much grace and so much patience. And when he calls us to repent, when he calls us to turn uh, from our sins and from our wicked ways, he's doing that because he wants to forgive us and he wants to bless us and he wants to move in our life. And I believe that that's ultimately what last week was. That was God calling his church to repentance, to fully treasure him, to go after him, to value him, uh, to give him us, our lives, the fullness of who we are. And as we repent, that means that we're going to turn from the way that we were living and we're going to go a different direction. And almost instantly, uh, as I preached that message in the following hours, even after that message, the Lord began to just lay a series of messages on my heart. Now, this is not something I do very often. Most of the time, the messages that I preach, uh, there are things that the Lord has laid on my heart for uh, days, weeks, sometimes even months or longer. Uh, and I've been thinking through them and chewing through them and meditating on them and just allowing God to lay them out. Uh, but this week, over the, uh, the course of a few days, the Lord just dumped a ton of stuff in my heart, uh, and I want to drive forward with that. And so this is going to be uh, a message where I'm just going to teach us something, something that, uh, that we've missed, a bunch of us, most of us, and even uh, those of us who didn't miss it, sometimes uh, getting it and then forgetting it is the same thing uh, as missing it. And I want to say that one more time because there's a bunch of longtime Christians that need to write this down and stamp it on your forehead. Getting it and then forgetting it is the same thing as missing it. Uh, and so I, I want to go back to this because ultimately I believe that the Lord has called us to be the salt of the earth, to call us to be the light of the world, to be a city on a hill, to produce fruit and to bear fruit for the cause of Christ and for the kingdom of God, to reach out to the people around us, that our lives that our lives, the lives that we live, not just the things that we say, but the lives that we live, the marriages that we have, the way that we raise our families, the way that we operate in our careers and in our work and in our jobs, the way that we love people, forgive people, teach people, the way that we live our life in every facet. Ultimately, God says the way that we live our life, if you're a Christian, that should be bearing fruit in the world around you. And if it's not, that is a significant issue and a significant problem. And ultimately, as you go through and you start, try to process in your mind, well, why don't I or why don't we produce fruit in that way? You know, why, what, what, what's up with the last few generations? Uh, if we truly have lost the power that's within the church and, and we're not bearing fruit and we're not being the light and we're not loving people, what's the why behind that? And there's a lot of answers that people could give. 
You know, there, there's a lot. And I was looking through some of the comments from the message last week. There was a couple comments about boldness. Like, we need to be bold, and we need to have courage, and we need to go through that. And, that, and that, that's definitely a part of it. That's 100% a part of it. We need some boldness. We probably need, you know, a lot of boldness in a lot of ways. Uh, there was stuff about, you know, not having any fear of people. There was stuff about, you know, not, not connecting so much of Jesus in politics. I would highly agree with that one. Uh, but there's, there could be dozens, if not hundreds of answers given to this, why aren't we bearing fruit? But the thing that I want to say up front and very quickly, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, the reality of it is there is only really one reason why a believer will not bear fruit in this life. There's only one reason. Uh, all of those other things that we just mentioned and all the things that maybe even I touched on last week in the message and all the things that kind of come to our life, all of those are symptoms to an actual problem. Those aren't the problems, those are the symptoms. That's the way the problem is showing up in your life, a lack of boldness. You know, a type of religious platform, uh, connecting uh, Jesus to politicians and to politics. These are all symptoms of one problem. And early on uh, in the, the time of Jesus on earth with the disciples, he actually lays out explicitly clear the one thing, the one thing that needs to happen, the one thing that needs to take place in order for us to bear fruit in this life. And I want to look at that this morning. Now, this is Mark 4, starting with verse 10. We're going to go all the way to 24, Mark 4, verse 10, all the way to 24. While you're going there, uh, I, I want you to understand the situation, the setting in this moment. Uh, Jesus is in the process of telling uh, the people and teaching the people uh, the ways of God, the thoughts of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the way that, that, that God thinks and operates and the way that his kingdom operates here on this earth and, and truthfully forever. Uh, and he lays this out and, and he's starting to teach these things through Different avenues, mostly they're parables. He's giving these parables. He's giving these, these stories. And, and, and behind these stories and underneath these stories, there's deep-seated truth and knowledge and wisdom and powerful, powerful principles and concepts uh, that can alter our life. And he's going through and he's teaching these things. Uh, verse 10 uh, follows the parable immediately that we call it the parable of the soil or the, the four different types of soil. It's the parable where he says, you know, there's a farmer who's throwing seed and, and some of the seed lands on a path and some of the seed lands on rocks and some of the seed lands in thorns and some of the seed lands in good soil. Uh, and, and, and he goes through uh, this uh, deal and the good soil is the only one that produces fruit and bears fruit. Um, and then he moves on. Verse 10 picks up right when they get along with the disciples and a few other people get along with Jesus and they begin to ask Jesus about the parables. And I, I want to point this out to you because I want you to hang on to every single thing that I'm about to say to you because the order uh, and the wording and the way that Jesus teaches this, it's going to super matter. This is one of those sets of scriptures. I believe this is true with every scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but this is definitely one of those scriptures where if you take something out of context or if you don't read it as a whole and you don't follow closely, you will miss the significant truth that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. And this is, this is what it starts, Mark 4, verse 10. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. Now, I want to stop and I want to point this out. He's not, they're not just asking about the parable of the soil. They're asking about the parables. 
in whether they were asking for the meaning of the parables or even specifically the parable of the soil, or if they were asking why Jesus was uh, telling and teaching in parables, doesn't really matter because Jesus does that thing that Jesus does. uh, And he sometimes, a lot of times, most of the time, instead of answering the question that you ask, he answers the question that you should have asked to begin with. And so what they were really asking doesn't quite matter as much as that Jesus is going to give them the answer to the questions that they and we all should be asking. And they ask, what about the parables? They're questioning Jesus about the parables. And then he begins this explanation. And I want you to hang on every word of it because it is powerful. Verse 11, he says, he told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside... Everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. All right, and this is a heavy scripture. There's a lot to it. It's a different message for a different day. Uh, I want to just hit one or two points so we don't get lost in this one. This is something, this is a prophecy out of the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah says several things along these lines, uh, and Jesus is literally quoting one of Isaiah's prophecies here, and he's saying that, that part of, of the generation that sees Jesus is that they see Jesus, but they don't really see him. They miss him. They hear Jesus, but they don't really hear him. They miss him. Uh, they're, they're watching him do the miracles. They're watching him uh, use his authority. He's, he's, he's leading the people. He's doing his thing. They're kind of a part of it, but they're not a part of it. They're forever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Uh, ultimately, the, Jesus is laying the groundwork He's laying the groundwork for us to understand something powerful about the way that he teaches us and about the word of God in general. And what I want you to gather from this is that Jesus is taking the conversation, no matter where it began, Jesus is driving the conversation to a very specific place. He's driving the conversation to the reality of the understanding of the truth or the teaching or the parables of his words. He's driving the conversation to this reality of understanding. Who understands? Who has the understanding? Who has the the discernment? Who has the knowledge of the kingdom of God? This is where this conversation's driving to. So I'm going to read this one more time, and then I'm going to go right to the next verse, and I'm going to stop again, and then we'll, we'll read down for a while. He says, the secret of the king, to the disciples and to the others that were with them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Verse 13, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And then he goes on to explain the parable of the soil. But I want to tell you what I believe is one of the greatest uh, misinterpretations or, or, or misperceptions of, of Jesus' words is right here in verse 13. Because you can read this one of two ways. You can read this like the Pharisee inside of you with the condemning personality inside of you, and you can think that Jesus is condemning them or slamming them or criticizing them. 
But I don't think that that's what he's doing at all because every, everything else that he's teaching, everything else that he's laying out here is teaching them, giving them something. They were asking about the parables. They were hungry. They were desiring, and he's giving them something. Uh, I don't think that he was saying in a mean way or a condemning way or a criticizing way, don't you understand this parable, question mark? How then will you understand any parable? I don't, I don't think that's the tone at all, actually, at all. I think that Jesus is stating a truth with these questions. And I want you to read it like this. Don't you understand this parable? The answer is no, they don't understand the parable. They don't understand the parable. Or they wouldn't have asked about the parable. They don't understand the teachings, or they wouldn't have asked about it. They don't understand the things that Jesus are saying, just like the people on the outside that Jesus describes earlier. He says, don't you understand this parable? And they're like, no, we don't understand the parable, or we never would have asked to begin with. And he says this, how then will you understand any parable? So I want you to just stop. And I want you to understand the direction Jesus is driving and Jesus is going. He's asking two very, 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 very important questions that you have to answer fully and truthfully. Do you understand the parable? Do you understand the parables? Do you understand the word of God? Do you understand the teaching of Jesus? Do you understand the kingdom of heaven, the principles and the concepts? Do you understand the thoughts and the ways of God? Do you understand the wisdom, the knowledge, the, under, the teaching of God, the creator of the universe? Let me help you bypass your arrogance and your pride. The answer is you do not understand the parables, the, the teachings, the knowledge, and the wisdom of God. You do not understand it. Because the thoughts and the ways of God, they are higher than our thoughts and our ways. They're on a different plane. They're in a different reality. They're from a different world. You can't get to them. The intelligence of God and the intelligence of man are two different, uh, they're totally different ways of thinking. It's, it, the ways of God are not just wiser, greater, better ways uh, than the thinking of man. They're on the same plane, just farther down. They're two totally different things. The intelligence of man, the wisdom of man are very different. They're two different things in the wisdom uh, in the knowledge and the intelligence of God. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, God has promised in the Old Testament, renewed it in the New Testament, that he actually intends on killing, crushing, wiping out human intelligence and human wisdom. It's not a greater form of, of, of human intelligence. God's world, God's thoughts, God's ways, God's knowledge, God's wisdom, God's everything is in a totally different place that you cannot get to it on your own. You can't figure it out on your own. This is why he goes into the, the next question. How then will you understand any parable? If you don't understand this parable, how will you ever understand any parable? The answer is you will never understand any parable. You will never understand the truth of God. You will never understand. You will ever be seeing, but you'll never perceive it. You'll hear it, but you'll never understand it. Ever, ever, no matter what. No matter how hard you try, no matter how smart you are, no matter how many seminary degrees you have, no matter how many Sunday school teach, uh, classes you teach, you will never, under any circumstances, within your own realm of intelligence, wisdom, human ability, ever be able to understand the word of God, period, unless God gives it to you. That's it. I want to read the first line again. He says, the secret of the kingdom of God, 
has been given to you. I need you to understand something because this is of epic importance for the rest of this message and truthfully the rest of your lives. In the course of the next few minutes, we'll explain why you have been going to church for 50 years and you've bared no fruit. Why you own Bibles and read Bibles and do Bible studies, but you, you, you bear no fruit. You aren't growing in Christ. It's as if it's not even there. You're still struggling with the same stuff you're struggling with 30 years ago. I need you to understand this, this could not be more important. In fact, I would say outside of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, there might not be anything deeper, anything greater to understand than this reality right here. You need to understand that God owns knowledge. He owns understanding. He owns it. And the only way you will ever get it is if he gives it to you. This is why when Jesus turned around and he said, who does everybody say that I am in Matthew 16 to the disciples? Who, who does everybody say that I am? He said, some say you're the prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John. Some say you're somebody else. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You're the savior. You're exactly who you say you are. And I believe this. Jesus' response to this declaration, this was the first declaration of salvation. This was the first time a human being stated out loud and declared Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Son of the living God. And he said, this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. I need you to understand something about God. You can't get to God with your own intelligence, knowledge, and wisdom. The only way you will gain an understanding of God at all is if he gives it to you, if he reveals it to you, if he uncovers it for you. You can read it, you can have it, you can memorize it. The thing about the Pharisees is they memorized, at a minimum, the first five books of the Bible. They memorized it. I need you to hear me. I feel this so strong. For all the religious people, all the people who's grown up in church, all the people who's tired of hearing the same old Bible stories, all the people who got it figured out 20 years ago and now they're just living it, I need you to understand the Pharisees were way better at being religious than you will ever be. They memorized the first five books of the Bible and many of them memorized even more than that. They memorized it. They knew every single word of it, yet they had no real understanding of it. Jesus is not talking about human knowledge. He is talking about the understanding of the word of God, the understanding ultimately of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth, the secret of the kingdom of God is ultimately, and the greatest secret is that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, that he is the word of God. John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the word of God, and the word was uh, with God in the beginning, and the word was God. And John 1, 14 says the word uh, became flesh and dwelt among men, that Jesus Christ is so important, that Jesus Christ in this moment, he was the word of God. He was the word of God. That's the reality. That's the truth of it. He was the word of God. His essence, his being, God sent his word, his understanding into the earth. So Jesus gets to this point and then he goes through verses 14 down to 20 and he explains the parable. And I'm just going to read it really fast. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once uh, 
persecution comes because of the word. I'm sorry. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, the last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even even a hundred times what was sown. And he said this to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now this next verse, this is the most important verse in the whole thing. Consider carefully what you hear. He continued, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. So I want to go through the order of events really fast. He clarifies up front. We're talking about understanding, not just the word of God. We're talking about the understanding of the word of God. You can be given the word of God without be given the understanding of it. Like the Pharisees, you can see Jesus and not be given the understanding that he is the son of the living God, that he's the Messiah. You can be given the parables and and, and hear Jesus even teach them, but miss the understanding of it. You can have the Bible, memorize every word of the Bible, have the word of God, and still not have the understanding of it. I, I, I want you to understand even Satan knows the word of God better than you probably ever will. But he lacks the true understanding of it. It doesn't produce any fruit in your life. He goes through and he explains that specific parable about the word of God that gets sown into the different soil, which is our lives, different people. And it talks about the different reasons why the word of God doesn't grow in your life, why the word of God doesn't produce fruit in your life, why the word of God doesn't sanctify you, teach you, renew your mind, and transform you, why the word of God isn't changing you, why the word of God isn't empowering you, and why the word of God isn't ultimately producing fruit, not just personally in your life, but then producing so much fruit that it starts changing and affecting the lives of people around you 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And then he comes down to this, and this is a beautiful promise. This is, this is a good thing. And he says, do you not bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or in a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out in the open. If anyone has ears, let him hear. This is not like when Jesus talks about being the light of the world and, and, and putting a lamp on a stand and then covering it up. It's not like that. This is the same, similar analogy, different meaning. He's telling them. He's telling them something positive. He's telling them something really good. He said, yes, it's secret. It's something you can't understand on your own. The word of God, the parables, the the deep-seated, it's hidden in the word of God. It's hidden there. But everything that's hidden is meant to be disclosed. Everything that's hidden in the word of God, in the parables and in the teaching, Jesus said it's there. It's meant to be revealed. It's meant to be opened up. It's meant to be exposed. It's meant to to get out into your life personally and then change you and morph you and, and let fruit bear from it. That's what it's here for. But then he says that and then he, he stops. 
And he gets super serious. And he says, and this is the main scripture, and this is what I want to hang out with for the rest of our time here, because it's really the only one that matters truthfully in our life. Consider carefully what you hear. Some translations uh, say pay attention. What it says in the, in the Greek is take heed. And it says that he continued, or it was a continuation of his previous thoughts. I need you to understand this. The point here is not I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. He's not trying to draw your attention and so that you'll pay attention to the next thing. The primary point is the first few words of verse 24. Consider carefully what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention. Focus on what you hear, what you see, what I'm giving you. This isn't to get your attention so that you pay attention to the next part. This is the point. The conversation that the disciples are having, that Jesus is having, that you and me are having this morning, it is about the teachings of God. It's about the teachings of heaven. It's about the parables. And he's giving you something right here, and we miss it. He says, pay attention to what you hear and what you see in the parables and in the scriptures and in the word of God. Carefully consider it. And in the Greek, the word is just take heed. Understand it. Be cautious with it. And then he goes on to say, and I want you to write this down a hundred times. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. The Greek just says, with the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. With the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. This is the part where it gets really, really, really convicting. This is the part where the Holy Spirit is going to bring severe conviction in a beautiful way to many, many people's lives. And I want you to understand, if if you are someone who is about to be convicted heavily by the Holy Spirit, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is only convicting you so that he can teach you, so that he can bless you. And you need to give in to that conviction and you need to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and you need to repent of foolishness and wickedness and sinfulness. I've had to do this with this very thing many times over the course of my life. So the problem is this. If you can't gain understanding of the word of God on your own ability, and you can only get understanding if God gives it to you, then what is the part that we play in this process? What makes us the good soil if that's what we desire to be? Yeah, God is a sovereign God in control, 100%, can do anything he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And in this situation, he is doing exactly what he wants. And he's giving us a part to play in the process and he's showing us something. Because if you're not careful, you'll walk away with this thought, well, if I can only understand when God gives it to me, then I'll just sit around and I'll just live my life. And whenever God's ready to give it to me, he'll give it to me. Unfortunately, for so many complacent Christians in this country, God says, no, there is a part that you play and I'm, I'm, I'm telling it to you. Jesus says the part that you play is paying attention to what he says. Consider carefully what he says, taking heed to what he says. I need you to hear me. This is more than reading your Bible. 
He says, you are required. The part that you play in this process, the soil, the Christian, the believer, you and me. The part that we play in this process of growing in Christ, the part that we play in this process of bearing fruit for the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God and the glory of the Father, the part that we play is this, that we take heed to the teachings and the parables and the words of Jesus in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, that we take heed with it, that we pay attention to it, that we consider it carefully, and then he gives you a principle that exists in the kingdom of God that is amazing yet devastating as so many promises are. Every good promise has a flip side. And this is the promise, this is the principle, this is the concept, and you need to write it down. With the measure that you measure, that's what it says in the Greek, with the measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. He says, so pay attention, take heed to everything you hear and everything you see. And then he continues, with the measure that you measure what you hear, that's how it will be measured to you. So I want to take a second, I want to step back, and I want to make sure that we don't miss anything. I want to be very clear here. We are talking about the understanding, not, not just the parables. We're talking about being given the understanding of the parables, being given the true understanding of the teaching, being given the true understanding of the words of Christ, being given the true understanding of Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus says, you'll never get the understanding unless it's given to you by my Father, by heaven. And the part that you play in this is that you pay attention and you take heed to the things that are given to you, like the parables, like the Bible, like the teachings. And he says, the measure that you measure, what you've been given, the measure that you measure the parables, that'll be measured to you. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what Jesus is teaching. And I pray to God that you hear me on this, that you take this as serious as you've ever taken anything in your life. He's saying that you've been given, in our case, Genesis to Revelation. In their case, specifically, this set of parables. And he says, the measure that you measure or the way that you value or the way that the, the, the attention, the focus, the way you consider it carefully, the way you pay attention, the way you measure what I've been given you, whatever measure you use, whatever measure you measure my teaching with, that means whatever value you give it, whatever value you give it, whatever worth you says it has, whatever measure you measure it with, that's the same measure that will be used in giving you the understanding of it. I hope that makes sense. It's very simple, but it's epically powerful. And it's the reason why many of us will die babes in Christ instead of powerful, life-altering, world-changing believers. He says, with the measure you measure, it'll be measured to you and more. He's saying it point blank. Guys, you've been given a parable, a parable of the four soils. And he goes, do you not understand this parable? They said, no. How will you understand any parable? And then he gives them the explanation. And then he says, everything that's hidden is supposed to be brought into the open. It's supposed to be disclosed. He said, so pay attention. Pay attention 
Consider carefully. Take heed with every word that I say and every word that I teach. And the way that you measure that word, the way that you, the value that you put on it, the time that you give it, what you invest into it, the way you measure it, that's how the understanding will be measured back to you. So if this doesn't say how many, how, how do you read the Bible? How, how long do you read the Bible? I need you to really understand that this is about a measurement. The measure matters. That's the title of the message. I never title my messages, but this is the title. The measurement matters. The measure matters. It's not just how much time do you read the Bible in the morning. It's not just how much time do you give it. It's how do you really value it in your heart and in your mind. I need you to hear this. How do you measure the words and the teaching of Christ compared to everything else? That's the thing about a measurement. A true measurement, like a number, it doesn't have any value unless it's in comparison to something else. Like the number five. Five is nothing unless four and six are something. Five is one more than four and one less than six. Five means nothing if there's nothing else to measure it against. He's saying, how do you value the words that I'm telling you compared to everything else that you have to value? Yeah, it looks practically like investing time in the mornings to study in the word of God. And it looks practically you know, like having prayer and fasting sessions and, and giving days and time to God. It looks like that practically, but he's getting to the deep part of it. He goes, how do you measure the parables? How do you measure the word of God? How do you measure the teaching? How do you measure it compared to everything else? He goes, because the way that you measure it, the measure that you measure this with, that's the measure that'll be given to you. If you value it highly above everything else, then you will be given significant amount of understanding. But if you don't value it compared to everything else, then you will be given almost no understanding. Now, with that said, I want you to hop right back up into the actual parable of the soils. And he says, I sow a seed into the ground, into your life. And that seed is the word of God. The farmers sow the word. Some people are like seeds along the path. Some people, this is you and me, some people. Some people are like seed uh, along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word, at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So they receive the word of God with joy. Uh, they, they want the word of God. They want the gospel. They want Jesus. They want the scriptures. They want to understand. They receive it with joy and they value it. They measure it to a certain extent, but then they measure their comfort and their easeability even greater than the word. I, I, I value the word of God, but I value being comfortable and I value easy and I value just a life of ease more than the word. So if the word starts causing trouble in my life, because I value, I value my ease, my comfortability. I value being liked. I value this more than I value the word of God. Now you measure the word of God compared to that. This is greater. And he says, you receive that. The way you measure it, you receive that understanding of it. And it goes down into the third one. Since they have no root, they only last a while. When trouble per uh, persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. This is, uh, this is most of us right here. Pay attention to this. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things comes in 
and chokes the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. He's saying, I've given you a seed. I've given you the word. I've given you the scriptures. I've given you the parables. I've given you the truth, the reality that I'm the son of the living God, that I've died for your sins, that I conquered death in the empty grave, that I have the keys of death, that I hold eternity, that I've sent the Holy Spirit, that I've filled you with. He said, I've given you all of this. I've put the word of God in you. And he says, now, now, how do you measure what little you've been given compared to everything else? And this is the part I'm telling you, if you will just let the Holy Spirit bring conviction and revelation to your life right now, he will. Most of us have not grown in Christ because we do not value the word. We don't measure it. The measure that we measure God's word with is weak. We don't value it compared to the deceitfulness of wealth, compared to the ease of life. That we, 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 the worries of life, the, the paying the bills, the job, the career, all the things of life that go on, we give that, we value that stuff more than we value the word of God. We value chasing riches, wealth, and fame more than we value the word of God. We value all these other desires. That's why he leaves it open-ended. I need you to hear me. Any desire you have in this life that you value more than the word of God, than the truth of God, than the, the seed that's been sown into us through Christ, if you value that more, you are measuring, the measure you're measuring the word of God with is very small. And he goes, that's why you don't have any understanding. He goes, I need you to look at your life. How much time have you given this? Because this is the thing. If you don't really value the word of God, you will not give it time. If you don't really value, you don't really measure it, you don't really see what it is, then you don't give it the time that it needs. And this is the, this is the part where I'm, it's gonna get sticky, but I, just, I, I, I feel this so strong and I wanna say it. You've gotta come to terms with how you value the word of God and why you chase after the word of God. Because the Pharisees chased after the word of God with the wrong heart. They wanted to know the word of God, memorize the word of God, and they wanted to be the man, be the one. They wanted to be the, you know, be the prophet. They wanted to be the one with the revelation. They wanted to be the great. They wanted to be the one everybody comes to to get answers from me. That was their heart. So God, deeply limited, even though they, they gave it time and they read it and they memorized it, the, the heart. This is not about just actions. This is about your heart. How do you value truly what measure you measure the word of God with? It will be measured to you. This is why for most people, I'm just going to speak as clear as I can. This is why for the vast majority of the modern American church, why we have no fruit, why we have nobody producing crops for the dark world, why we are losing our saltiness, why we are not being the light in the world, because we do not value the word of God in this way. And because we've chosen our measurement to measure the word of God, God has promised his word and he's given you, even though it's the flip side of the promise, he's measured it back to you the same way. You don't value the word of God, then the word of God is not gonna give you any understanding. And therefore, you don't have any understanding. It's the truth that sets you free. It's the truth that grows you. It's the word that grow in Christ. That's where the power comes from. You can't outthink it. You can't outact it. You can't outdo it. You can't just start being righteous. You don't have the power to do that. It's the word of God that transforms you, that renews your minds, that sanctifies you. You've got to come to a term where you are in your heart and in your mind. Do I value the word of God over everything else in my life? And I'm just going to speak real blunt for a few minutes. 
I've been pastoring for a long time now, preaching for a long time now, and I can tell you the difference. Not, not when I was younger and didn't know Jesus. Not even in my first few years. I'm going to condemn myself even as being your pastor. I know what it is to not value the word of God and still be a preacher. And I know what it is when you actually start to value the word of God and the difference. See, there was a time when I valued being a preacher more than I valued the word of God. I valued being a pastor more than the word of God. I valued impressing people more than the word of God. I valued being successful more than the word of God. Not when I was younger, not when I was unsaved, as your pastor in the last eight, nine years. I valued so many other things more than I valued. I valued the word of God, but the measurement that I chose to measure it with, it was small compared to everything else. And then there was a moment in my life, there was a shift in my life over time. God brought heavy destruction into my life. I'm just being honest. And it was in that season that I became more desperate and more hungry for God. And it was in that moment that a desire for the word, and I started to see the value of it. And now at this stage in my life, I value the word of God like this. There is nothing more important in the universe than the word of God. Because within the word of God, if I can gain understanding of it, I know it's the understanding. I know that it's the knowledge. I know that there is power. This is why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the teaching. I'm not ashamed of the message of Jesus because there is a power in it to save those who believe. There is actual power in the understanding. There is no power in memorizing the Bible. There is only power in gaining the understanding of the words in it. I know that my life will be transformed. The greater understanding that God gives me of the word, the more my mind is truly renewed, the more transformed I am, the more knowledge I have, the better of a husband, the better of a father, the better leader, the better everything. The word of God is everything to me. And I value it that way. I know that in my heart of hearts, I know that if every answer to any question I have exists in here, every sin, every addiction, every weakness in my life, everything that is ungodly in me will only be destroyed, beaten down by the ever-increasing knowledge of his word. That's why if you go throughout the letters of the New Testament, it will make so much more sense to you now why Paul prays the things that he prays. I pray that the fullness of the understanding understanding of the gospel, the fullness of the understanding of Jesus will come to you because Paul knew it's the understanding of Jesus. It's his word, it's knowledge that when you gain the understanding that it sets you free. You're not bearing fruit because the word in your life is being choked out by your addiction to the deceitfulness of wealth by your addiction to trying to be famous and being known, by your addiction to being liked by the worries of this life and your control issues and your pride issues, by your arrogance, by you living for so many other things and all the other desires that you can name. That's why Jesus left it open-ended. There is no fruit in your life because you are measuring the word of God with a measurement that is less than everything else in your life. And this is a great sin of the American church. I could go on and on and on and on about the amount of pastors who maybe at one point valued the word of God, but now they value being well-known, they value being successful, they value being famous, they value all these other things. And you can watch, in my own eyes, I'm not gonna call anybody out, I've watched them preach in power 10 years ago, and now there's literally nothing there but fluff. 
Because somewhere along the lines, the measure that they measure the word of God with changed. The measurement matters. In your heart of hearts, how do you measure the word of God? How do you measure the word of God? There's nothing more valuable. I'm going to close with this, and this is not the brag on me or nothing. I'm telling you. I hope you don't see it like that. I love my kids more than anything else on the planet. I love them. I love my wife. Multiple times a year, despite the fact that I'm pretty sure my mother-in-law hates me because of it and that a lot of people don't understand it and how could you ever leave your kids? I leave my kids and I leave my wife multiple times a year and I go get alone with the Lord for the sole reason and the sole purpose of fasting, praying, and reading the Bible and begging God to give me understanding because I measure it that, it's that valuable to me. And I use that for this reason. I don't just leave my kids and leave my wife and I don't just go up there because I'm trying to be a good, I know, I know that the way that I love my children will only grow in a healthy, holy, Christ-like way if I gain the understanding of the scriptures. That I'll only be able to be a husband on paper without the understanding of the scriptures. That I'll never be able to lead my wife and love my wife and love my children and train my children and disciple my children and lead this house and lead this church and preach the word and disciple and develop people. I'll never be able to do that unless I have the understanding of the word of God, not just the parables, not just the scriptures. I measure it that way, and because I measure it that way, I do extreme things. This is, my, my, this is the call, I believe, of the Holy Spirit to your life. How are you measuring the Word of God? How do you value it compared to everything else? And then look into your life. What's choking the Word? What's choking the Word in your life? That's the thing you need to repent of and run from it. You need the understanding of the Word of God, not just the Word of God. And I'll close with this deep, dark, hopeful thought. He says this. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. I want you to understand something about Jesus. Similar to the parable of the talents, he's not a loser, and he doesn't invest in losers. And in this case, the only definition of a loser is those who don't value the word of God. And he says, if there are people who are not measuring and not valuing the word of God that I've given them, and they're valuing every single thing else, and I'll give them exactly what they want and I will take from them what they do have. And that might not make sense to you, but I'll point this analogy out to you. I got with Taylor, our worship pastor this week, and I said, hey man, I said, you were in school for like 12 years. He was like, college? I was like, no, no, no. First grade to 12th grade, 12 years. Most of us were. Even homeschool kids, you had some type of education for 12 years. This is the reality. Every day for 12 years, or five days a week for 12 years. You were given so much knowledge and so much understanding. You were taught so much. Yet right now in this moment, for a million dollars, you could not return 95% of it. Why? Because you didn't value it in the moment. And now you couldn't even go back to process it because what was given to you, what was read to you, what you studied, it's gone from your brain. It's gone. That's what happens with the word of God. 
if God uncovers something for you and he gives you a revelation and he teaches you something and then you don't value it and you don't chase it and you don't go after it, you don't invest in it, then he'll quit investing in you. But here's the beauty and the grace of Jesus is that if you are breathing, if you're 15 or you're 115, if you are breathing, Jesus is still willing to invest in you. You need to repent of what you value more than the word of God. You need to confess it because it is sinful. To prefer something and value something over Jesus is idolatry, no matter which way you cut it. And it's a sinful thing. It's not a foolish thing. It's a sinful thing. You need to repent of that. Jesus, I have valued wealth and the desire of wealth more than you and more than your word. Forgive me for my sins and I want to turn from this. Jesus, I have valued X, Y, Z. I have valued this. I valued that. This desire, this direction. I valued this more than I have the word of God. I am aware now in this moment, I have measured your word according to this worthless measurement. I valued this in a worthless way. Father, forgive me. I repent of my sins. And God, now I'm hungry. And I see the value in it and I want it. And I will promise you, almost instantly, God will start teaching you and pouring out into your life again. One of the biggest reasons why the American church hasn't produced any fruit is because we have started to value so many things else over the understanding of God. And because of that, Jesus has limited that fruit-bearing word that grows in us. But if you will ask, you will receive, and I believe that holy. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit and your power rest in this room. Father, I know that this is one of those messages where there's a lot of people, Father, they could even be bored just sitting here listening to this because somewhere in their mind they think, well, Pastor Jordan's just talking about reading the Bible more. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will let them see that it is so not that, that it is so deeper than that that this is the reason why they don't bear any fruit in their life. This is the reason why they don't have any freedom in their life. This is the reason why freedom comes from your truth, Father. And if we don't have your truth, then we don't have your freedom. I pray, God, that you will create a hunger and a desire, not for strategy, not for philosophical ideas, God, not for more Bible studies and devotionals, God, but even a deep, deep true desire and a value on your word and the understanding of your word, that we would value it, that we would see it, that we would believe that it is what it is, that our measure that we choose to measure your word would be greater than anything else in this life, that we would learn to value your word more than anything else in this life, oh God. And then I pray for those that step forward, repent of their sins and ask this prayer, God, measure it to them and more. Father, and let their heart, let their mind, let their bodies be that that produces 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Let revival start with them, Father, in this moment. In your name, amen.